Today's episode of Times Ours is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Chiefs tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score the last minute tickets. that time jersey well we have some good news and some bad news uh the good news is everything is fixed for the kansas city chiefs just came out guns blazing first quarter 17 to 3 and uh everything appears to be back on the right track I i will admit to both of you guys um my cable and internet all went out just right at the end of that first quarter uh so I actually have no idea what happened in in quarters two three or four but I have to imagine that, that Twitter's been in a very good mood for the last few hours because uh, I I think everything appears to be fixed with the Chiefs what actually happened guys I'm gonna open a new tab here. hey uh hey, hey Josh I I think you may <laughs> want to go back on the internet because uh, uh don't do it <laughs> I, I, I think well, I think you'll be surprised to see what the uh, what the results and the outcome was of oh, uh, of Sunday's game. Oh, did the did the Chiefs put up a fifty burger? No, <laughs> they they didn't even come close Six, to that. Wow, they put up sixty five points. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Clearly, right? That that's outpacing the first quarter. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Um, how can I say this nicely? Um, they stunk after the yeah, first quarter. Is this like a fun practical joke? Is this like, is this like, oh, Josh is gonna click and he's gonna see it was like fifty three uh, to two. I don't have the heart Texas to do this. I don't have a heart to do this. Nate, you know, Josh, they they kept up the exact same pace. Mahomes passed for eight hundred <laughs> yards, and they scored and and they they scored. Hold on, sixty eight points. Oh, that's and so exciting! They and, won and sixty eight to ankle twelve. Great the whole time, and yep. Don't go on the internet. Mahomes' ankle is definitely fine. <laughs> definitely fine. And. Yep, and uh, yeah, everything everything's great, man. Everything's great. The referees definitely, definitely, definitely oh. did not decide to just wipe off a holding penalty because since it's not pass interference, we can't call anything whatsoever and then cause Mahomes' <laughs> first interception of the year. That's definitely not something that happened. Look, look, everything it's is weirdly, awesome. Really specific. It's okay. <laughs> everything is cool when you're part of a team. <laughs> everything's awesome. Um, awesome. When the Chiefs are four and two and lost two straight home losses in Arrowhead Stadium, and fans are leaving with five minutes left on the clock. Wait, what was that last part? Welcome to uh, to alternate reality times ours here on the Athletic. I'm Joshua Briscoe with Nate Taylor, Seth Kaiser. And we're just in a burning city at this point. I mean, Seth's in Minnesota, so I don't know if it's going to be like Pompeii where the ashes are visible uh, that far north from here. But, man, the city of Kansas City is is just in flames at this point uh, after the hold on uh, ESPN.com slash NFL slash game slash underscore slash game ID slash. Oh, yeah. Well, the Chiefs <laughs> did lose that game by touchdown, huh? Um, guys, we uh, we could we could pretend that that didn't happen i'm still kind of down to give that a shot but uh woof i I will say before i i throw it back to you guys if if you're listening to this monday episode of times ours uh anywhere that you would you would normally get your podcast you're probably not subscribed to the athletic and probably not getting the friday episodes of this show uh that we do again every friday and this friday it'll be immediately following a football game because uh more good news the chiefs play another football game in a couple of days. Yay! So that's probably going to be good for, for everyone involved. Um, okay, here's the thing that happened yesterday for me. Um, and Seth, I saw you had a tweet very much to sort of to this tone. Um, I believe the phrase you used was what happened against the Texans is what people thought happened against mm-hmm. the Colts. And I, I loved that characterization. Um this you did you did good Seth. I, I sometimes on this show I'll take time to t- tell Nate how good of a job he does, and today I'm telling you you did a good job. You did a good tweet. Uh, 
I feel different today than I did a week ago. Um, I last night Twitter and all three of us and, and Nate, your piece on the athletic was also well. I'm just giving out compliments. Very good. You brought, as the kids say, the heat. Um, I try and and. and all, all three of us are talking about formulas and Super Bowl aspirations and fundamental flaws in a way that I don't feel like any of the three of us were doing last week on this show. So, Nate, again, you, you can read Nate's full piece up on The Athletic. It's it's really, really good in a really, really uh, tough spot. But why does it feel different today than it did at this point last week? Well, I think it feels different because um... – everybody knows now there, there's no sense of sort of hiding behind hey you know any given Sunday anybody can come and get you hey it's a one game slip up or the idea of like hey you know we didn't have Tyreek Hill so like Tyreek Hill is going to save or you know cover a lot of our problems a lot of our sort of issues um you know there's there's no hiding from the fact that if a football team who's playing the Kansas City Chiefs doesn't run the ball 40 or more times, they're stupid uh, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it was shocking. And yet, I, I, as I wrote, you know, and yet still you can't really blame them. Because, uh, you know, the fans who attended Sunday's game spent a lot of their money with an expectation that they're going to watch greatness, at least on one side of the football with the hope that they're going to watch competency on the other side of the football. And mm-hmm. when Mahomes attempts only three passes in the fourth quarter, one, you're not going to get greatness. And two, because he's on the field so little, you're not getting a competent defense. And so in my eyes, this is the first time I've covered the team where fans straight up were like, yep, I, I've seen this before. I'm getting out of my seat. I'm walking away from this. With, with five minutes on the mm-hmm. clock – in a one-score game, um, there's no hiding anymore. And even if even if there are guys in the locker room who don't want to acknowledge it fully uh, to like you know us as reporters um, or to fans, they they got a real issue, and they're not as good as they think they are. And yes, the injuries are not helpful, but the reason why it feels different is because they are completely beatable now. They are just another NFL team, and I just didn't think we'd be saying this six weeks into the season. Do you concur, Seth? I do. Um, you know, as Nate alluded to at the very end, injuries have definitely played a role, um, and that's that, that. That's tough. And then the response is, "Well, everybody has injuries," and and we can get into this now or later. But had someone asked who the most important Chiefs are, not 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 the best necessarily, right? But the most mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. of the five answers you gave, probably three of them would be. Chris Jones, Eric Fisher, and Tyreek Hill. Now, Hill finally came back, which was great. Um, then, obviously, Patrick Mahomes would be number one. Right. Um, well, So, the problem is, Fisher being out has hurt the team more than... I, I, I said this to, uh, to Nate last night because we were, we were consoling one another over the phone. <laughs> um, and, and I just said, I hope Eric Fisher never gets crap from the Chiefs fan base again because, right. yeah, he was yeah. No, number one overall pick and no, he's not like you know Trent Williams or Tyron Smith, so that's tough. But he's a good left tackle and that makes him extremely important to this team's success. Um, mm-hmm. is schematically with everything they clearly planned on being a attack the field vertically team this year. Like I think Andy was intended on we are going to do something the NFL's never seen before. This is going to be just bombs over Baghdad every game. And we saw that early against the Jags, we saw that in spurts. We've seen that, right? This huge right. vertical attack. Mm-hmm. And injuries have just derailed it and including most importantly and again, this is the this is the most important one by far. Patrick Mahomes' ankle, every time it gets tweaked, his accuracy drops, his movement in the pocket is different, and it just changes the whole complexion of the game. Because for the second week in a row, he was throwing darts. And then his ankle got tweaked. And then accuracy drops, you know, the velocity on the ball drops, all that stuff. So yes, injuries play a factor. But Nate's absolutely right in that. They... Every team that, that that faced the Chiefs previously to the last two weeks, I'm sure it was like, we got to bring our A game. We got to go for it on every fourth down. We got to do all this stuff because this team is insane. Now it's like, I wonder if they're going to beat the Broncos. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. That, no, that's, that's not good. Yeah. And that, and, and to to, to uh, 
to piggyback on your point, Seth, now every team can play to their strength. It was mm-hmm. so much to where the Chiefs were forcing you to, you know, to fight left-handed or to swing for haymakers, like you mentioned earlier. Like, we got to do, you know, we got to be outside of ourselves just to compete against the Chiefs. These last two weeks have sort of shown us with the injuries, of course, is that now we can play to our strengths, like, and we can play to your weaknesses, and we can get you to start playing left-handed, or we can get you to start um, mm-hmm. trying to go for the big home run instead of just getting a single. Like, you know, if we elude this to baseball, so much of what the Chiefs are doing right now is swinging and missing at, like, curveballs. And right. yeah, you got to be able to, like, either spit at that or just get to the next pitch or in the Chiefs' standpoint, get to the next down. I mean, you can't – I know we're going to get to the offense quickly, um, but mm-hmm. that last drive, um, you can't you can't run a play and on first down immediately get a penalty or – on top of that play, lose four yards. Like you yeah. just, yep. you just can't. Yep. And so, when you don't even have a running game to begin with, uh, or not a, a consistent one, or one that you featured throughout much of the afternoon, it just puts so much pressure on Mahomes, who again tweaked his ankle, is limited, can't move around the pocket, and teams can start to tee off on you. So they, in a matter of like really three weeks, and this all started in Detroit. And think about this, fellas. The Chiefs are one heroic, just fully calm, collected drive in the final minutes against Detroit from being a 3-3 three and three team. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way, and that makes me a little sad. <laughs> uh, last, last week, I, uh, I, I decided, I made the executive decision that we had to start with the offense because that Colts game, I mean, and we got to this point collectively, that Colts game, I think, needed to start with, hey, this was – it felt kind of like the Steelers playoff game, like we talked about a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the Texans felt like they were doing some AFC championship game kind of stuff. Yeah. And Seth, prepare your prepare your mentions and your stats and your armies now because <laughs> what was happening in the AFC championship game was the Patriots were running the ball successfully. That's not really arguable. Um, but I had some, you know, somebody tweeted me about the AFC Championship game last week and say, "Oh, the the Colts just followed the AFC Championship game template." Not really. What what happened last night, though, or what happened yesterday, I do think felt more like that mm-hmm. because they were running the ball successfully. But good God, there were ninety-seven two-yard passes to DeAndre Hopkins, <laughs> and every one was for a first down. Yeah. Like so. Listen, man, I'm I'm not about to budge on my newfound disdain of using time of possession as a stat that that dictates you know how a game is going. Right. Um, it oftentimes will show you how a game ultimately went, but I don't think it's I don't like it as being predictive literally at all. However, the idea of like a defense not being able to get off the field that's still that's a real thing. Yes. And, and so if I give you that defensive performance yesterday, Seth, and I, and I give you that in the larger context of the conversation we've been having about the run defense mm-hmm. and where this defense has been flawed in in both phases, how do you how do you digest all of that? Sure. Um. Here's the thing to note. I, I agree with you. It's very AFC Championship-esque. Now, the run game, once again, in the final half of the fourth quarter, the run defense just showed it couldn't hang. Um, but at the same time, it ha- if you if you have that exact same game, right? The only reason that game was necessarily close is because the pass defense stepped up a few really crucial times. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with turnovers mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. You take away those, and suddenly it's that, that game could have gotten... Ugly, or you know, maybe if mm-hmm. a few passes hadn't been dropped by the Texans, mm-hmm. that game could have been yes, really a hundred percent. That game could have been really ugly. Um, so what you had, like you said, there were I, I just I got so frustrated. It's like, oh look, play action slash RPO with Watson rolling to the right and hitting a mm-hmm. wide receiver or a tight end going across the formation who is inexplicably wide open again. I counted like six times that happened and I was getting so sad and like I had to act like an adult because my kids were in the room with me watching the game (laughs) and I'm just like, how do you not, you know, I sure wish they would maybe account for that guy, but you know, I'm sure they're doing the best they can. And that's, 
you you can't play you you can't play lousy run defense and lousy third down pass defense. That's just gonna the other team's yeah. gonna march on you all day. You got to tighten up one of them, and they they just it was it was it was ugly, man, completely ugly. They missed Chris Jones on third and fourth down yeah. because he is he's a guy that you know four to six times a game like he makes good plays more often than that, but four to six times a game Chris Jones single handedly wrecks an offensive play. Right, like whether whether he gets the sack or whether he just bursts through the line and forces the running back to run away or the quarterback to bail out four to six times a game, he single handedly wrecks a play, and they did not have many play wreckers this game. Do you uh, do you want to know a, an interesting stat that uh, shows the Chiefs how how poorly they they were on defense? <laughs> uh, well, they can stop. Next thing, two, two, Next two stats, two stats for you. One that's in that's in the uh, my story on the athletic, the 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 back breaking twelfth play game winning drive for the Texans included all of zero third down plays. Oh man! And the Texans had two penalties uh, on that drive that pushed them into first and fifteen situations. Didn't matter; they got fifteen yards in two plays. <laughs> uh, so they never God. faced a third down. And so Frank Clark made this this point. I think was really good, and I, I didn't include it in my story, but like. Um, his job is to rush the passer. Uh, guess what, fellas? You can't rush the passer if you never get to third down on a third <laughs> or third and logical. Like, hey, they have to pass the ball to move the chains. And then the yeah. the second stat, and this goes to Seth's point: the idea that Chris Jones will literally put it upon himself to be like, okay, if I see the formation, if I see the down and distance, if I know where we are on the field, I can probably beat the guard and center right here and blow everything up. Yep. Because Chris yeah. Jones was not on the field, um, the Chiefs had one tackle for loss. And that one tackle oh for loss was God. by Reggie Ragland late in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, second was that not the second it was like the second to last yes. play of the of the defensive that game. That is true. That is true. That was on that was on a third down and one play yeah. where the Texans, yeah. you know, clearly showed like, hey, we're gonna run the ball. Hey, hey fellas, we're gonna run the ball. And we're going to run the ball right. And here. that set up a fourth and three where I think it was really wise of Steve Spagnola to go with a zero blitz. Um, because even at fourth and three, I'm like, they should still hand the ball off just to take more time off the clock. Even if, you know, right. whatever, like, or, or, you know, like, again, you can probably get three yards. Um, the Texans saw the zero blitz and then Deshaun Watson, who was great at this. Uh, quickly recognized, okay, let, let me just spread everybody out. Actually, you go over here, you go here, and, like, everybody run their hot route. And because he's mobile, unlike Patrick Mahomes late in the game, he was able to just back up, back away from the pocket and find, I think, Hopkins for a, a quick slant that basically ended the game. So, um, I mean, look, it's, it, it, is, it, is, it is difficult to win the game when you don't get any push up front. And they need Chris Jones. And there's, I mean, he's not playing on Thursday. I mean, he didn't practice all last week. Um, So they're going to have this issue moving forward. But they got to get more tackles for losses. They got to get more disruptive in the backfield so that guys like Frank Clark and Alex Okafor can rush the passer on third down. But by and large, the Texans never had to worry about that in the fourth quarter. I know we're going to get to this a little bit later. And and Seth, I know that you're kind of working on on this for your piece on The Athletic that will be up soon. Um the one thing, because there's been all this conversation about like, oh, the Chiefs in the trenches have been miserable, and my God, they have been. I like I'm not that. This is not the beginning of an argument, um, but oftentimes it feels like that conversation ends up going to a place of like, yeah, why don't they care about the trenches? And um, I, I would very strongly argue it's not for lack of trying, which almost makes it worse, like. I mean, obviously, Anthony Hitchens wasn't out there, but even then, like, Darren Lee was brought in this offseason. Damian Wilson was brought in this offseason. Ben Neiman was getting a lot of work before Hitchens got hurt. Um, They go make the huge move for Frank Clark. Derek Nottie was a a high draft pick. Colin Saunders, thrust into action sooner than I'm sure they would have liked, was a high draft pick. Mm -hmm. Alex Okafor was a free agent signing. On the offensive side, obviously Eric Fisher was 1-1 in the contract extension, but he's hurt. They give Cam Irvin a contract extension. 
Um, they had to make the Wiley and Ryder moves because it's a salary cap sport, but then they, they had given LDT that big contract. They, they brought in Mitch Schwartz, which is, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying, like, you see all, specifically in the conversations about the trenches, they the only place it feels like they were, like, trying to cut corners was at left guard and at center, right. which you do because your left tackle and your right guard can, can help bring them along because you have faith in those two guys. So I, I don't, I don't want to jump the gun too much uh, Seth but whenever you do look at, at the problems they've had in the trenches which again have been a very real thing do you do you look at, at that from a, a perspective of a, a team building problem is it an execution problem is it not actually a problem how do you how do you dissect that well I know I know we plan on talking kind of about the overarching view Later on, if you want to get into it a little bit here, I think it's fine. It's it was it it became very quickly because I, I do the post game show on on eight ten. Very yes. quickly, we we had like three consecutive Brett Veach calls. So yes, it, well, it, it is a fair Monday topic. I think sure. So here's here's what I'll here's what I'll say. I don't think you can look at the 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 construction of the roster up front on either side of the ball without looking at other places. Um. The the reality is Anthony Hitchens and Sammy Watkins are costing about twenty four twenty five million against the cap this year, and it's going to be about thirty one mil against the cap next year. Yep. Um. Th- those are two. If you look at Brett Veach's biggest swings, mm-hmm. and I like Brett Veach, right? You know, he, mm-hmm. he pounded the table for Mahomes. I, I think he's a good scout and all that. But if you look at his biggest swings, you know, you're talking. You know, his first season it, it was you know, he trading Alex Smith. With the big prize being Kendall Fuller, um, signing Anthony Hitchens, signing Sammy Watkins, um, trading, signing Tyron Matthew, uh, trading for Frank Clark. Those are like his biggest plays, right? Mm-hmm. And don't so under, th- don't undervalue trading up for Breland Speaks. Yes, well, and yeah. that, but I mean, yeah, which is just something you have to talk about. But that's in the overarching look at the draft class. So I'm not even getting to that just yet. If you look okay, at his biggest moves, the idea with those really big moves is those are your guys, right? Those are the cornerstones of the franchise. Those are the guys you're expecting to be really good players that you're building their defense around. You know, and they they talked about Kendall Fuller like that. And my underst- I, I believe they used to think Fuller was like a foundational corner. And so now they, they're not really so sure, as you can see by the fact that they haven't extended his contract. So yep. you, you, what you have is you've got Fuller, Hitchens, Watkins, Matthew, and Clark. And so far, the only one of those that has worked out, I think, the way that it appears they thought it would, is Matthew. He's been good. He's been really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. No no complaints there. But everything else, I, and look, I like Sammy Watkins when he's healthy. He can win one-on-one matchups. He's explosive. But those nagging injuries, those are problematic. And they paid him like he's not a guy with an injury history, right? And... Mm-hmm. Now the second year in a row, he's hurt in a time where they could really use him, which is a bummer. And, and again, I'm not like I'm not mad at Sammy. I mean, it is what it is. Your body lets you down sometimes. I mean, I my body lets me down all the time, and I'm not even a professional football player. So that's tough. The Hitchens contract, I like Anthony Hitchens. He seems like a good dude, good locker room guy, hits hard, is a leader, is accountable, tries to play through things. He's hurt right now, but yeah. but he just hasn't been very good. And so it eventually causes you to wonder, you know, when they gave up an asset for Reggie Ragland, he looked all right for a bit, and then that hasn't really panned out. And Cam Irving's been okay, but not – he's struggled quite a bit too. You start to look at that, and then you go, wow, the biggest swings – I would say the biggest problem right now is the guys that they are counting on to play like cornerstone players are not, yep. except like Patrick yep. Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. And those guys were already there for Veach. You know, Hill, Kelsey, and Mahomes, they were already there. And so that would, is what I'd say is the biggest problem. And then you look at the draft class the last couple of years and, you know, hey, Thornhill is playing well. Hardman shows promise. Outside of that, you're not getting much out of these last two draft classes like at all. Except, you know, Derek Nottie, who is playing worse this year than he did right. last year. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so that looking at the big overall construction thing, now there's arguments for it and against it. And that if you look at my article, we'll go to the other side of things. The why it's definitely premature after just two really bad games. But you can see some cracks in the foundation. When you give up a first and a second round pick and then pay a guy $100 million, that dude better be a, a foundational piece. And Clark has been good. 
Well, he's been okay, but he hadn't been great. And that's right. not mm-hmm. that that that's not okay. And and especially when some of your other biggest swings, Kendall Fuller, because Alex Smith was a really valuable asset when they traded him. And they thought, oh man, Kendall Fuller, yes. And hey, I looked at his film. His film was amazing, but it hasn't worked out. Um, the other big moves, Watkins hasn't really worked out, honestly. Uh, Hitchens hasn't really worked out. That's when it becomes time to say, well, if your biggest swings, you know, it's kind of like akin to how the offense is playing. Like what Nate said, you know, you, you may taking a bunch of swings and missing. You kind of see that with the roster construction a little bit. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think to say you see it a little bit is honestly like pretty kind because you just laid out that with the exception of Tyron Matthew, the big swings have been misses. And you can't do that in the NFL. One thing that came up yesterday was that this is theoretically the easiest, the easiest that Brett Veach will have it for however long he's the GM of the Chiefs. If it's two years or 20, from here on out, pretty much, I mean, after this season, there's going to be a much larger Patrick Mahomes number right. to figure out. So, mm-hmm. Nate, do you think do you think that it's reasonable to begin uh, being relatively concerned about the the Brett Veach plan? Uh, it's a it's a question to be asked. And to be fair, the Chiefs were four zero two two weeks ago. Now, mm-hmm. because of your point, Josh, those guys still weren't playing. Those guys still weren't playing great. But I mean, right. yeah. Right. Now, to your point, Josh, the, the idea is that um, this was the offseason where they had to fix the defense as best as possible. Because mm-hmm. you knew on the other side of it, um, Patrick Mahomes was going to get a mega deal. And you were probably going to have to be more balanced in next year's, like this upcoming spring's draft class. So, mm-hmm. when you really think about it, the, the Chiefs added one player on offense uh, through the draft. And that was McCole Hartman. Because of obviously circumstances and the idea that every year Brett Veach needs to give Patrick Mahomes another weapon. Beyond that, the rest of the draft class was mostly managed on defense and moving to get Frank Clark, obviously, with the first round pick. Um the the Chiefs offense is going to get old. Like, and it can happen before, you know, fans' eyes in a relatively quick manner. I mean, Travis Kelsey is not getting younger. Sammy Watkins will probably not be on the team next year because of his cap number. Much in the same way that you know, Justin Houston had a big cap number. To, you know, despite a player's production, it just doesn't fit because you're obviously going to replace that with Hayden, or um, excuse me, with uh, with Patrick Mahomes. Did you just hear a kid in the I background? Just, I just talked. Just I just mentioned. Name? Yeah, sorry, folks. I just mentioned my kid. Uh, <laughs> do you wish that? Do you? Wish I mean, Hayden. If, I mean, if Hayden can. Honest. I mean, if, if Hayden can run a four three, he will be on a. He will be on an NFL team uh, <laughs> in, a, in a city near you uh, in a decade from now or so. But no. But honestly, like. So much of this Wait, construction was like, I know, I know. But so much of this was like, Brett Veach had to get the defense right. So he looked around and said, there's nobody that I can get better with a 29th pick than Frank Clark. So he makes that deal. Obviously, the bigger issue there, or I don't know if it's an issue, but the, the bigger emphasis was that they gave Frank Clark top money to be top flight pass rusher. That has not happened. Um, they did get Morse Claiborne. Um, and sort of beat out some other teams right before training camp. He's been okay, but he did have a back-breaking holding penalty when the Texans were backed up late, you know, deep in their own territory on that 12-play game-winning drive. Um, you know, Juan Thornhill has worked out, but Colin Saunders uh, clearly is too young and it's is not ready to to be a, a really serviceable player. Like, it's going to take him probably a year to get adjusted to the league just because he came from Western Illinois um, the linebackers. Can we talk Ugh. about the linebackers not named Anthony Hitchens? Because I think that is even a yes. bigger issue yes. than Hitchens. At least Hitchens, I have faith that like he's going to tackle somebody. He's going to come down heels, mm-hmm. particularly in Steve Spagnuolo's system versus Bob Sutton's, and he's not going to be a complete liability. Um, Darren Lee was sort of built or sort of. I guess projected as like this guy who was going to be speedy and quick and electric and can do pass coverage and can, you know, be somebody that can run sideline to sideline and he's always going to be there ready to make the tackle in the open field. Uh, that was not the case yesterday. Um, the team is relying on Ben Neiman, who's probably the most disciplined assignment sound player they have, but is obviously physically limited because he's an undrafted second year linebacker. There's only so much Ben Neiman can do and teams are starting to understand what his weaknesses are, particularly in the run game. Um, mm-hmm. Damian Wilson was kind of a low, 
under the radar signing and like I don't really know what his market was when free agency began. He's serviceable, but he didn't play well yesterday. Is he does he have some injury because he's looked to have sort of fallen off a cliff these last 3 weeks going all the way back to Detroit. Um it appears that Brett Veach has fixed the secondary which is way better than it was last year. Like, at least Traverius Ward. That's fair. Stabilized? Can we use the word stabilized? Stabilized, sore. Is that, I, is that okay? Because, okay. well, last year's That's safeties were Eric, <laughs> were Eric Berry and Daniel Sorensen. Uh, the, the Juan Thornhill, Tyron Matthew is like a massive upgrade there. Massive. Massive upgrade. Cornerback. Absolutely. Cornerback, Absolutely. we thought that was going to be an issue going into week one uh, in the whole Jalen Ramsey sort of trade. But, like, that cornerback is fine. Like, Traverius Ward made a great play yeah. on a great mm-hmm. player. And, great you know, Bashad uh, yeah. Breeland, when he doesn't hold anybody, does fine. Completely does fine. Like, yeah. And by the way. Yep. Just keep his hands to himself. Just, you gotta, it's, just, it's just like kindergarten rules. Hey, man, keep yeah. your hands and to by yourself. The way, uh, I don't know how good it is to mention that Bashad Breeland's a better tackler than any of the linebackers were yesterday. Just just want to mention. Just want to <laughs> So is Claiborne. Just, yeah, just. Frankly, so is Fuller probably. Just, and Fuller misses tackles. Right. Just want to mention that. That Bashad Breeland was a better tackler than just about any linebacker yesterday. So he stabilized the secondary. Yeah. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo wanted a bigger, more meteor defensive line. And in some ways, I feel like the coaching needs to be criticized because Brett Veach is trying to fulfill what Steve Spagnuolo wants. And Steve Spagnuolo's front end is not getting the job done. But yeah, they got they got some they got they got some holes at at, at linebacker, and that will be an issue for yes. Brett Veach to sort of figure out. While also he needs to supplement the offense this upcoming offseason because a lot of those star players are going to get older and Patrick Mahomes is going to take up a gigantic amount of the salary cap. One thing on the running on the uh, the running back, the linebacker front and then Seth, I you can decide if you want to talk about uh the coaching versus uh playing execution and and all of that on the defensive in the front seven and all that. But my favorite I think my favorite tweet from yesterday um, that really encapsulated where we're at right now with this group of linebackers. Somebody tweeted at the 810 Twitter account and said, why on earth does Neiman play more than Ragland? And that warmed my heart because I think that I could find literally that exact inverse tweet from literally exactly <laughs> a year ago. Like if you gave me week six last year, I promise you somebody had a tweet, probably several somebody's had tweets about like, why is it Ben Neiman playing over Reggie Ragland yet? And, like, the crazy thing is in both of those instances, I think there are great points to support that right. question. But that, to me, was a was a real indictment of where we're at at this point, where, where Reggie Ragland had the best play of the day among linebackers, and everyone wanted him off the field last year and then cut this offseason. And, again, not unrightfully so. Seth, make me feel I better. I can't. Um, <laughs> I'm about to let you down so hard. Um, That's fine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the, the deal of it is this. Their linebacker group, and you know what, Nate? I think that's a really good point because everyone tends to pick on Anthony Hitchens because he's got such a big contract, which I get. Yep. But – Honestly, he probably is the best of the group. Yeah, and it's overall. And, and, and the pro- the problem is, is the difference in talent is 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 uh is getting bigger and bigger. Right, and then they have a bunch mm-hmm. of guys that are one dimensional. So right now, with with Ben Neiman in there instead of Hitchens, and Ben Neiman in there, honestly, instead of you know Raglan or whoever, you see that the run game gets even weaker. Because what here's what I notice when the when the Chiefs are playing, the 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 gaps just aren't getting filled. Now, look, Derek Nottie's getting moved easier than he was last year. They obviously miss Chris Jones because Colin Saunders isn't ready. That that that, that was fairly apparent. Um, but the the the, the edge defenders that that's one thing. It's kind of funny. You want these bigger guys like Clark has been good against the run, yes. but teams just aren't running at yeah, him. Uh, yes, They're like, well, yes, somebody finally needed to make this point. Thank you, Seth. Because it w- by the way. Um, the Houston Texans had figured it out midway through the second quarter what was going to work. It was just a matter of, like, could they stay in the game or was the Chiefs going to blow them out with a double-digit lead and was going to force them to pass. Mm-hmm. Once it became a one-score game, yep. once um, 
Patrick Mahomes was strip sacked, fumbled uh, late in the second quarter. That was such a huge, play. such a huge play, such a huge play. Once that happened, yeah. the Texans realized, okay, the Chiefs are trying to to plug the a gaps. And so what what I mean by that is Steve Spagnuolo went into this game saying. You know what? They're not going to do what the Colts did, which is run right down our throats. And even though we don't have Anthony Hitches, I'm going to make Ben Neiman either play right up to the line of scrimmage or appear that way and then obviously pull back for drops into zone coverage. Yep. And so with Colin Saunders, Ben Neiman in the middle, and and uh, and Derek Nadi, they were trying to plug all the A-gaps on both sides of the center. What happened with that is because the Texans knew that, they didn't decided we're going to run right at Alex Okafor, and we're going to pull guards, and then we're going to cover up uh, Damian, uh, Damian Wilson or Darren Lee, whichever linebacker was on the edge, and then Carlos Hyde can just run through tackles, and it became yep. very apparent mm-hmm. the way the Chiefs didn't the, the way the Chiefs didn't necessarily adjust as well as you would think or, or would want in the second half is that. The running game was pr- was purely predicated on running away from Frank Clark because at least Frank Clark sets the edge and that brings the flow back inside or the pursuit, I should say. Yep. What the Texans did was we're going to run away from Frank Clark, but we're going to run RPOs at Frank Clark so that Frank Clark has to sit and wait mm-hmm. for the quarterback yep. to make a decision because mm-hmm. with the league's rule now, with the league's rules, I should say, it's hard for a defensive end to see sort of Hey, I see RPO. I'm going right at the quarterback. I'm going to hit him. I'm going to hit him hard because if you do that, you're going to get a rough in the passer penalty. So the defensive right. end has to be disciplined and sound. So even on the touchdown, uh, the game-winning touchdown that Deshaun Watson scored, it's an RPO play where Frank Clark does the right thing. He sits. He waits. He doesn't. He doesn't go early, which forces Watson to sort of make him look stupid with a juke move. He sure. weighs that out. He actually wraps up Deshaun Watson. But because the Texans are at the one-yard line, he's just going right. to fall forward and get in the end zone. Uh, and by right. the way, if you look at that if you look at that play, mm-hmm. Frank Clark does everything right, and there are no teammates to help him. Like, there's, there's no one there. There's if no you, one else there. So, it, yeah. so the, Texans, the Texans figured it out so quickly. Okay, we're going to run away from Frank Clark, and then we're going to run RPO action behind him and get the balls, like Seth mentioned earlier, to the receiver, the back, the tight end. And we have so much faith in that player beating the Chiefs linebacker or beating their defender in a one-on-one situation that they're always going to you know, break the tackle, get extra yards downfield, and we'll never have to face a third down. It was that simple, folks. They, they, they had learned everything by halftime and implemented it and executed it in a manner that was really, really discouraging if you're a Chiefs fan. Uh, is there anything else on the defense that you feel like either of you feel like we need to cover? Because I do want to talk about the offensive side of the ball, and we do get to do the thing where we, as media professionals, get to talk about referees. Woo! Big fun. I just want to say real quick with regards to that, that touchdown, he, Nate made a great point. I mean, they only needed a yard. And if when you put Frank Clark mm-hmm. in space against Deshaun Watson, that's, not a ma- that's a matchup the Houston Texans like. Because sure. Watson's such a gifted runner in space, and Clark, I think, like you said, he did everything right on that play. You, you, you hope that as Watson's spinning, some other defender swarms in, right? Like that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Stay mm-hmm. in space. Don't let him run by you. Don't let him juke you out. Wrap him up and hold him there for a second. And he did. And there was just no one else there. Just no one. And it was a. And look, I'm not going to try to say Frank Clark played well because they didn't get any pressure on Watson throughout the game and. That was so discouraging to watch because at least last year they got after the quarterback, and this year, man, they missed yeah. Chris Jones. But I, I think Nate's absolutely right, and maybe this will work as a segue for you, Josh. You know, you talked about once the game got close, the way that the Chiefs are being beat right now can be done as long as the offense isn't great. If the offense is great, this stuff yeah. can't work this way. But as long as the yeah. offense continues to not be great and merely okay or or streaky – that's this is the this is the way to beat the Chiefs. People talk about oh man, coverage is the blueprint. No, it's not. The blueprint is if you can if the offense is going to be inconsistent, then yeah, you just go nuts on and just run the ball constantly, see what you can do, and then convert a billion third and shorts. Which oh god, it's just so disheartening to watch. And yeah, so the offense is it, they didn't score twenty six again, guys. I'm sad. Yeah, I mean they've had their two worst offensive games under Patrick Mahomes. 
um, in in two consecutive games. So I, I, I feel like we could have said that sentence and then ended the podcast after 30 seconds because, like, listen, I, I understand that I am fundamentally asking less of the defense than most teams would ask of their defense. That's 100% true. But this offense has Andy Reid calling the plays and, and, and drawing them all up, and it has the MVP playing quarterback, of course, and it's got all these weapons around him. Of course, you have higher expectations for the offense. So I still think it's fair if you wanted to begin a conversation about the Chiefs with what the offense wasn't able to do for the second consecutive week. We didn't, but I think we could have. Um, and then even in, in you know the the fact that they had. Uh, Mahomes had one pass in the fourth quarter. Uh, he attempted three passes in the fourth quarter. He complete he completed three one to LaShawn McCoy for minus four yards. One pass. Okay. There it is. Yeah, the minus four the yards ball. in the fourth quarter. That's actually the stat that I wanted. Yeah, that's very good. Um, what did you and say, then Seth? They ran the ball on second and fourteen. I think we'll get there. I think we'll get to that one. I think I'm going to turn away from the microphone and scream into the void, but we'll get to it. Um. For for all the reasons that I hate the time of possession conversation, uh, if you look at number of possessions or chances late in the game or all of that, that does go both ways. Um, because as the defense could not get off the field, as we said earlier, which I prefer as a more precise and accurate measurement of, of ineptitude, um, the Chiefs offense couldn't stay on the field in the second half either. Those, those last two drives had six total offensive plays. Um, so having more than three options in the second half to go uh, put up points would have been great. Like, that's insane. But the Texans have to play their offense differently if the Chiefs would have put some pressure on them in either of those drives. At least in my humblest of opinions. Is that fair, Nate? Yes. No, that's completely fair. And um, I, I, I wonder what... I'll say this. Andy Reid is a very good coach. Uh, that needs to be mentioned in this entire discussion. He, the plays are drawn up to work. Schematically, I know they work. It's the execution. It's trusting an offensive mm-hmm. line that is very shaky, particularly yeah. as the game wars on, uh, or wears on, I should say. And because of Mahomes' limit in terms of scramble ability, elusiveness, which is so much a part of the offense because it just adds a dynamic that a team can't, sort of cover or defend well. <sighs> I hate to say it, fellas, but I think I think the Chiefs probably need to ball control just a little bit more, particularly in the second half when you Nate, I will I will turn you, this podcast when around. You know, when you know your defense is sucking wind on the sideline, you can't when the, when the defense is sucking wind on the sideline, you can't go three and out. It's it's just it cannot happen. Um but the issue I agree with that part for sure. The issue is they're they are a sloppy team. Yes. Really sloppy on offense. Yes. Like they're they are they are electric and they are flawed. And one of the biggest flaws is they have so many penalties because the offensive line is either holding defenders like Mitchell Schwartz to save Patrick Mahomes' life against JJ Watt, or they're holding on screen passes. Like how can you hold on a screen pass? The whole point of the screen pass is to let your defender go by you to give the illusion that like he can get somewhere. Um, but Cam Irving held, and even if like even if Lashawn McCoy doesn't lose four yards, the Texans are just gonna accept the penalty in his first and twenty, which is not as you know just as bad as you know second and fourteen. But like Cam, great down to run the ball, I bet. But Cam Irving is just holding somebody. He's just holding. How'd you like that ball control, Nate? How'd you oh, like control no, the ball no, on second and fourteen on the ground? Points. I'm just bitter. No, 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 no. I, I eat it, Nate. I totally, I totally. I totally know what you're getting at, but but they have they have to be better. This the the, the formula worked to start the second half. Short passes, be de- be decisive, yes. man beaters. Whether that's picks, whether that's rubs, yes. like yes. give the ball to Lashawn McCoy, who you know wasn't terrible at running the football no, yesterday. Wasn't. I mean, I mean, eight carries for 44 yards on a five and a half yards per carry. They just didn't use him enough. Um, you know, Saran Petro made a really good point to me after the game yesterday. Uh, D- Darrell Williams had that long catch in the first quarter that was like sort of um, fifty some yards. Yes. Yeah, it was great. He was never used again. 
never used. Just yeah, nope. never no. used again. Um, so like the the play calling's gotta be better. The offensive line has gotta stop holding. Um I feel sorry for Travis Kelsey because it's like the book's out. Like, just mug him. Yeah. Like the refs yeah. won't do anything about it. They're treating him yeah. like like he's like he's like he's, he's getting the shack treatment. He very much is. They like yeah. and I know we're gonna get to the penalty. I, I know. And again, that is not an interception. Like in my eyes, Patrick also, Mahomes. Friend, friendly reminder friendly reminder that we have about two minutes to get to the interception. In my mind, Patrick well, Mahomes I, has yet to throw an interception this season because Travis Kelsey was right. mugged, manslaughtered, and um <laughs> you know No, it was premeditated. That's first yeah, degree. Oh yeah, well yeah, it, the whole thing. Like he was like set set the Texans to the to the you know what. Cause like I mean they're just mug like defenses are just gonna mug him on every play. And I know Andy Reid is like, look, I'm forced to challenge the third down call because like we need the we need the we need the first down, we need the ball. But like again, the referees are not gonna overturn any any rule of, of non pass interference. So guess what, defense? Yeah. Go out there and mug Travis Kelsey some more. Uh, I am in almost all instances, I'm absolutely determined to never be the but the refs guy. All right. I don't wanna be that. And a bunch of toss up calls over the course of a game is not the same thing as a game being fixed. Like, that's the most exhausting thing that Twitter has to offer, is that guy. Um, And so, all of that there, and now in my best Skip uh, Skip Bayless voice. However, in two specific instances for the Chiefs, two specific really, really important instances, the refs made the wrong call, and it had tremendous repercussions for the Chiefs' offense. It's not even arguable. Like, up by eight points, they just gave up a touchdown to the Texans. That interception that should not have been an interception was an interception. And then in the fourth quarter, you have on on that third down, in, that third down and five, when they actually had a chance to keep moving the ball. What else do they do there? They they had a play on third and five that was going to work. Travis Kelsey gets tackled. If that's a penalty, they continue moving the ball, and this game looks different. Right. So, man, I don't want to be, but the refs guy. But the refs were, I've said this multiple times, NFL referees have a very, very difficult job to do, and they're also not very good at doing it. And (laughs) and that was put on display in this game for me. Seth, you got 30 seconds on but the refs? Uh, with regards to the but the refs, the 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 call on the interception that shouldn't have been an interception is horrendous in that it's it's such a huge swing and it's huge. such a it's such an obvious thing when they gave the ball to the Texans like as they started to explain that they were wrong, I was like, oh, but it'll be defensive holding, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that stinks because now it won't be like spot of the foul or anything like that. But, you know, first down, whatever, and the pick won't count. And I also think that's one of the only reasons Mahomes threw the ball is that he see he sees a flag. I mean, at least yeah. so you put it out there. And so I, that was it. I mean, he said after the game that that pass was supposed to be for Kelsey. Right. Which I'm still I have questions about, but he did say that. Well, it was supposed to, it was supposed to be a double move. Kelsey's supposed to run right. and out and then up. And he never even got to the out because the defender threw him to the ground. Exactly. Yeah. You just grabbed him and threw him to the ground. And that's Kelsey. It's interesting. Kelsey's starting to get the Shaquille O'Neal treatment, or you could call it the Rob Gronkowski treatment. But here's the difference. He is not Gronk. He is not 270 pounds. He is not, he's not running the same types of routes. Gronk was running for the most part, a bunch of seam routes. And that doesn't require the same movement, the same whatever. And he's just not as big and strong as Gronk. He's a better route runner and he's quicker, but he's not as big and strong. And so when guys just tried to mug Gronk, he just shoved them aside. Whereas Kelsey can do that sometimes, but not all the time because he's more of a finesse route runner. So that is problematic. And that was one of the most horrible turnarounds in a play that I've seen. So there's my little longer than 30 seconds on the refs. Nate, do you have a little shorter than 30 seconds on the refs? What? Patrick Mahomes told us after the game was that obviously Chelsea was trying to run a double move that never got ran. Beyond that, yes, he does see that a def- he does see that his that his teammate has been pulled to the ground. So he throws the ball with the understanding that like clearly that's a call. If you rewatch the play, which is readily available on Twitter or on I'm assuming a lot of TV shows that will be played later today, like he as soon as the ball is released, sure. he's pointing at the altercation that occurred downfield like hey um my guy <laughs> yeah. just got mugged like my guy just got thrown to the ground like 
Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's clearly on him. Like, it doesn't. And, and Patrick Mahomes has done this before, where he notices something on the field and he throws the ball with the understanding that like the referees are clearly seeing what I'm seeing. He did seeing. it on the Tyree Kill touchdown. Yes, right. I mean, right. like Absolutely. that. So the issue there is that what he was told, and again. I don't know how much of this goes to the rule book, but what he was told from the NFL refereeing crew yesterday, which again was the worst crew I've seen all season in person, was that, well, the ball was thrown in a place that was deemed uncatchable. Now, here's the issue. Um, I'm throwing the ball where my receiver's supposed to be. My receiver can't get there if he was never allowed to get there. Um, or if he was illegally touched, yeah, yeah. you know, contact, holding, you know, thrown to the ground, whatever. Uh, and then the second thing is because the refs initially said pass interference and then pulled back what they had to tell Andy Reid was like actually based on replay which again the play was not under replay but someone from the NFL sort of you know mega center in New York sort of suggested that since you called pass interference that is technically not pass interference and because we now have to remove pass interference we can't even acknowledge holding illegal contact we can't acknowledge anything so the fact that the referees i guess made the wrong call initially screwed them up from making any correctable call after the fact which is what they told andy Reid, and then you know that was obviously told to patrick mahomes so it's a situation where the the refs can't come to one another and say let's just have common sense which has been the whole issue all along with these people um and if you make the wrong call like if you say pass interference but the ball sells you know, 10 yards down the field further than the receiver was supposed to be, uh, there should be some mechanism in the rule book to suggest, well, maybe the defender prevented that from from actually happening. So maybe it's more of an illegal contact or a holding. And, yes, it's not the spot of the foul rule, but clearly the defense needs to be penalized there. Instead, the defense was rewarded because you made the wrong penalized call. We have no time to talk about the Broncos game. You can follow all of us on Twitter if you want to keep an eye on what we're thinking throughout the game this week. Plus, all the all the media availability is happening today out at Arrowhead. You can follow uh, at by Nate Taylor, and I'm at JB Briscoe. We'll have uh, stuff from the media availability today, and then at Real MN Chiefs fam, follow Seth there for more film review over the course of the week. We got a short week, boys. We got it. We got to be tight. We got to be ready. We got to be uh, prepared to uh, to to come back on Friday for another post game show that's going to go uh, too long. It's going to ruin Danielle's whole day, and it's going to derail the athletic. Um, but one thing that was not derailed by our uh, long-windedness today is the NFL Power Rankings podcast. It brings you a wide look at the NFL with weekly rankings of who's rising, who's falling, and who to watch with hosts Lindsey Jones and Amy Parlopiano. Latest episode is Dak and Zeke, McVay and Phillips. Who would you rank as the best duo in today's NFL? The fact that Mahomes and Reed isn't even on that list makes me personally furious. But hey, man, it's been two rough games in a row. <laughs> so join Lindsey and Amy for their uh, picks for the top five best NFL duos with a few picks that might surprise you that's the nfl power rankings podcast guys uh we got a short week i'm gonna go uh stretch i'm gonna go do some push-ups and i'm gonna go get ready to hold out uh, a, a phone and, and record the voices of coordinators coaches and players who say that they need to be better than they were yesterday ice up boys ice up because we only got 72 hours before we play another game ice the hell up <laughs>